What do you do when you feel like giving up? You ever been discouraged? Who hasn't? In the 60s, there came a saying, I think it came from the 60s. A lot of times us hippies got accused for a lot of things. Being bummed out, man, I'm bummed, or in a funk. It's like a cloud that followed pig pen around. Here's some synonyms for discouraged. Maybe these describe you this morning or you have felt them before. Crestfallen, despondent, disheartened, dispirited, gloomy, glum, morose, moody, mopey, sad, shot down, spiritless, woebegone, wretched, dampened, dashed down, dragged, drooping, hurting, low, sagging, all torn up. Atrabilis. You ever heard that word atrabilis before? I'm, Jude probably says it. He's like five years old. He said, man, I'm feeling a little atrabilis today. I never heard that word before, but that's what it means. Bleak, broody, cast down, cheerless, disconsolate, dismal, doleful, down the dumps, down the mouth, downcast, downhearted, droopy, heavy-hearted, in the pit, slow-spirited, melancholy, and miserable. You ever felt any of these? I think maybe, maybe some of you is feeling them today. I guess if I narrowed that down to come up with a word picture or it, it made, reminded me of old Eeyore. I, I think if you was around Eeyore very long, it might rub off on you. Let, let's watch this clip. Good morning, Pooh Bear. If it is a good morning, which I doubt. However, yeah, now. did I get your tail back on properly, Eeyore? No matter. Most likely lose it again anyway. Poor dear. You know, I may have just the thing. Up, up, up you go. <laughs> there you are. It's an awful nice tail, Kanga. Much nicer than the rest of me. It's not much of a tail, but I'm sort of attached to it. Not much of a house. Just right for not much of a donkey. Might take a day or two, but I'll find a new one. Hand of the road. Nothing to do. And no hope of things getting better. Sounds like Saturday night at my house. <laughs> You know anybody like that? If you're sitting at the table, don't look at them. Just leave them go. Don't even look at them. Don't point them out. <laughs> I think discouragement maybe is one of our most deadly diseases because it's universal. Everybody gets discouraged. Not only but is it universal, but it is contagious. And like, like Eeyore, when you're around folks like that, boy, sometimes it, it don't take them long to rain on your parade. I think one of the reasons that God put the book of Nehemiah in the, in the Bible is the story gives us the cures and causes of discouragement. Chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Nehemiah was in captivity in Babylon, and he was allowed to bring some of the Jews back to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the labor is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, or see if it will be right there among them, and kill them and put an end to their work. Right there in that short passage, there's four causes of discouragement. Number one cause is this. It's fatigue. The scripture gives us 
the causes, and then it gives us the cures. But this, verse 10 says the strength of our labors is giving out. They were worn out. They'd worked a long time. They were exhausted. They was weary. They were worn down. And when you're down physically, it's hard to be up mentally and spiritually. And that's, that's a counsel that I give to folks when they're really, really discouraged. Man, go, go home, take a nap, or get, get some sleep. Vince Lombardi said fatigue makes cowards of us all. And that's true. And maybe, uh, man, things look better after a good night's sleep, don't they? And when we, some of us, lose those nights of sleep and whatever, the next days you, you're kind of in a, in a haze. Maybe you need a vacation. When does fatigue usually set in? When does discouragement set in? Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height. A lot of times you get into a project, whatever that might be. You start something new, new ministry, whatever. You get about halfway through and it, the, the new wears off sometimes. And then uh, you kind of you bog, bog down a little bit. And discouragement starts to set in. And fatigue comes at the midpoint when it's half done. Here's another cause of discouragement is frustration. That's the second one. Scripture says, and there is so much rubble. He's talking about litter and debris and trash. If you ever build in a, in a building project, you know that's true. There's stuff to walk over, and it gets in your way, and sometimes you fall down. And uh, when we were down in New Orleans working on Katrina, it was the house that we were working in. You know, there was boards and whatever and uh, nails sticking up and whatever. You had to get that out of the way uh, first. So when the people were gone in Babylon, they came back. The wall had been knocked down and there was bricks and mortar and all kinds of stuff laying around. They had to walk over that. And if you've ever been in a rebuilding process at your house, you know how that is. And how many of you have the kind of job where your work's never finished? You know what that frustration's like because you never get anything completed. It's frustrating. Trash multiplies. It's kind of like rabbits. It's over in the corner multiplying. If you don't clean it out periodically, it becomes a barrier to your main goal and will halt your progress. You can't avoid the rubble, but you've got to be able to recognize it. And we have to recognize the rubble in our own house and inside here. And it's like sometimes, anybody in here ever have a garage like that? I can, I can name two people right now, but I'm not going to because I've seen your garages. They look just like that. Winter comes, man, I wish I didn't have to scrape ice. Well, if you clean that garage out, you wouldn't have to. That's the deal. But uh, you can't even get a car in it. What is the rubble in your life? Rubble is the trivial things that you spend a lot of time on, that they, they, they take up a lot of your time and you, don't, you can't accomplish your main goals. It might be, might be the Internet. It might be your iPhone. Do you have conversation when you're eating together anymore? I saw a family of five eating the other day at Bob Evans, and all five of them was on their iPhones. I don't know if they was texting each other or what, but nonetheless, I, you know, people used to talk a little bit. But I think that's, that could be something that uh, is taking up too much of your time, time wasters. Verse 10 says, there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall saying we should never try this project. It's ridiculous. We'll never get this job done. And then OER sets in. Man, even if we got it done, it's not going to be a very good one. They got discouraged and they got, gave up because they had failed. And they didn't do it on time. Failure is the third cause of discouragement. They didn't, wasn't able to finish it when they thought. They lost enthusiasm. They got 
discouraged. And the question is, how do you react to failure? As we live, we breathe, we move, we all experience failure in our life. How do you respond when the plans collapse, when things aren't accomplished on time and you don't reach your goal? You, give, you go into to self-pity, you blame yourself, or you know, like I talked about last week, maybe you start pointing fingers and blaming somebody else. It's impossible. Winners see failures only as temporary setbacks, verse 11. Also, our enemies said, before they see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. And that's the fourth cause of discouragement is fear. The background of this story is that there were enemies that didn't want them to build the wall. They wanted Jerusalem exposed to whenever they wanted to come. They could just march right in the city. And they were doing everything to keep that wall from being built. First, they ridiculed the Jews. Then they criticized them. And then finally, they threatened the Jews, we're going to kill you. Does anybody really in here like criticism? Even if it's positive, sometimes it, it's like poking you with a sharp stick. It, 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 you maybe need it, but boy, it's hard to take sometimes. You don't like being threatened. Boy, th- a conversation can go south pretty quick if you go into it and somebody threatens you. Nobody likes to be criticized or threatened. They don't like to be afraid either. Who gets afraid? Verse 12, when the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack you. If you hang out with a lot of negative people and listen to negative thoughts and complaining, you're going to be infected. What fears cause you to be discouraged? Fear of embarrassment, fear of failure, fear that you have to be perfect, fear that you can't handle the pressure, fear that they won't like my clothes. <laughs> I usually don't like to talk about females because I always get in trouble. Don't do it. Well, I probably. Thank, God bless you, Pastor. I don't think I will. I knew God called him here for a reason. That's one of them. He's improving my image with the way I dress, and now he's, he's, he's going to keep me out of trouble. Man, I am indebted to you. <laughs> you just keep up talking, Pastor. Whenever you, something comes up, you just jump up and say it. You hear me? All right. Man, I appreciate that a lot. Some of you found that amusing. I appreciate your laughter. How do you know when you're discouraged because of fear? You have an intense desire to hit the road. You have an intense desire to run. I've got to get out of this place. I've got to quit this job. I've got to go do something else. You have this tremendous, tremendous desire to go to Cancun or someplace. But the problem is when we get away and we need to get away, I've talked about vacations, but if you're running away from something, you'll be there when you get home probably. That's the problem with that. But boy, you have that. We, we think that's going to solve it if we can just, we just run away. If you discourage this, inevitably one of those four, it's either fear, frustration, failure, or fatigue. You know, we need to stop and do a little checklist in our own lives and really ask ourselves and be honest, what's causing this problem? And once you identify it, if it's fear, frustration, fatigue, or failure, then you have to look to the antidote. And thank God, the antidote is right here in this passage too. It's a four-step process. God has answers for all of us, but the fact is we have to look for them. They're just not going to show up on the doorstep sometimes. Sometimes they do. Sometimes the Lord will work through other people to, to help us. But the majority of the time with the problems and the pressures in your life, you yourself can go to the scripture and find the answer. But a lot of times we, don't, we want quick stuff. We don't want to take, take all that time to do it. 
I don't know if you know anything about antidotes. They, they, you know, we see a lot of movies, James Bond movie, he gets poisons or whatever, and they have to have the antidote, and it'll save you immediately. It's hard to get. I remember the first of that one, or in that one movie, the antidote, was, it was at a party or something, they was kicking that antidote all over the place, and he liked to never got it to save his life. When I severed that quadricep muscle, I was due for a stress test uh, up at UAP in Terre Haute, and I couldn't get on the treadmill. So they had this medicine or this, what they, you, you nurses or you doctors and people that know medicine know this, but they inject it in your heart and it speeds it up real fast. It's the weirdest feeling I've ever had in my life. And after they, and it's like you've just run eight miles or something, your heart's just boom, 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 doing that. And the doctor's always, how you feeling? How are you feeling? I said, man, I feel weird. You know, he says, well, when this gets done, I'll give you the antidote. And they injected that antidote and it's like two seconds I was back to normal. That's the way this works. If we know it, if we use it, in that moment of whatever that is, whether it is fear or frustration or failure or fatigue, right in that moment, we go to God's word and it, it is the antidote. There's a four-step process. Here's the first one. It says, rest your body. That's the first thing Nehemiah did. He gave him a little rest. He said, hey, let's, he proclaimed some holidays. And I, I think that's the first thing I would, uh, if you're really discouraged, is to, is to get a little rest and see how it looks tomorrow. Get a good night's sleep. Psalm 127.2, God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. I think a lot of times we need to underline that and put it somewhere where we see it. It's vain to rise up early and go to bed real late and cheat yourself out of sleep. Psalm 119.73, you made my body, Lord, now give me sense to heed your laws. He gives us one body, gives us one heart, gives us one liver. And if you mess that up, you're done for. That's just the way it is. Like... I can't change that. God has done miraculous healing on the face of this earth, and he's brought people back from the dead. You drink and run your liver, I'd say your chances are pretty slim of you getting another one. Not that he can't do it, but I've never seen it. I've never seen God give a new liver. That's just an illustration. But he's given us this body, and he expects us to take care of it. And... Sometimes when I preach, I'm preaching to me. Eat right, get your sleep, exercise, relax. There's a balance there. And rest is important. He put in the Ten Commandments. Second step, reorganize your life. When Nehemiah saw that the people, this is verse 13. When Nehemiah saw that the people got discouraged, he says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. He said, let's all get together in little groups or families and support groups. He didn't give up on the goal. He reorganized. We are discouraged. Often it does not mean you're doing the wrong thing. You're just going at it the wrong way. When you're discouraged, sometimes you want to give up your dream and say, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe the right thing, you might be doing it wrong, actually. A lot of times if you're overcommitted, you've got to organize your schedule. If you're out of shape, you've got to organize your lifestyle, reorganize your eating patterns. And it's, that's hard for us, isn't it? Most of us it is. It's, it takes discipline. Some of you are discouraged because of tremendous pressures. Your workload is unbelievable. Americans plan everything except their lives. And that's part of the problem. Nobody starts a business without developing a business plan. But in life, sometimes we just fly by the seat of our pants. Sometimes we have to reorganize that life, especially when things are going south pretty quick. 
There's a series of interviews that they've done with successful people in life around the world. There was five factors that they found in every one of them. And the fourth one was this, strong relationships and love and support groups. The Bible says that Nehemiah grouped them by families. We need each other. That's why I reiterate this over and over again, how much the church needs each other. Over, over in the Bible, it says one another, serve one another, love one another, help one another, care for one another, pray for one another, greet one another, encourage one another. 50 times in the New Testament, one another, one another, one another, one another. It's the fact that we live in a hostile world that hates us. We don't, maybe we don't see that, but if you're a follower of Christ, the world hates you because it it hates God. They might not come right out and say it, and sometimes they do, but nonetheless, we need each other. We can't be lone rangers. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't really play out so good. I know people that say that. Now I don't need church. I just need God, but where are you getting fed at? Where, where are you rubbing shoulders and elbows with people that have like minds, that instead of talking negative or talking about things that are so anti-God, they want to talk about Jesus and say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is how he's pulled me through this situation. That you need to hang around people like that too. I think about the Lone Ranger. It's my, it's my favorite Lone Ranger joke. Him and Tonto were out on the plains and they were surrounded by hostiles. Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and says, what are we going to do, Tonto? And Tonto says, what do you mean we, pale face? Well, you need groups. You need to be part of some small group or start one. This is the crazy thing about how we think sometimes. Everybody in here can start and lead a small group. You don't, because you can do it. I, I do believe I have enough confidence in that. If you're not in one, join a Bible study, get involved. That, you have other people supporting you. That, Nehemiah stationed them by families. They've done another study of survivors that have survived at sea any major accidents, all the survivors had one characteristic that they all had, and it was this. They would say things like this. I stayed alive because I wanted to see my kids grow up. Or I stayed alive because I wanted to be with my wife again. Or there were people counting on me, or there were people who needed me. They had a support group that, that gave them confidence. Step three. This is probably the most important, perhaps, out of the four steps, is remember the Lord. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He, he took them back to that. And a lot of times we need to be brought back to this constantly, brought back to the word, brought back to God. We have to recommit ourselves spiritually. I can't count, I don't know if there's a number high enough almost in my vocabulary of how many times I've had to recommit myself to Christ. Back in the day when I was struggling to get my spiritual head on, I recommitted every Sunday because I'd go out and live like hell all week and expect that to be okay. What well, wasn't okay. And who reminded me of as soon as I walked in the door, the Holy Spirit. And at the end of that service, I was down there on my face again. I know my pastor probably said, man, oh man, are you ever going to get it? Well, praise God, I finally did, but I still do this. <laughs> Recommit yourself to Christ. You have to draw on spiritual resources. 
You got to get plugged in. You got to get your mind off the solution and onto the off the solution and onto the circumstances. When David got discouraged, he encouraged himself in the Lord. What do you do? Here's three things. Number one, remember God's goodness to you in the past. You start making a list of all the things that has been good and in life and all the blessings that God has given you. Remember the hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Scientists say that the healthiest emotion is gratitude. You remember the goodness in your past and where God has brought you. Two, remember God's closeness to you in the present. He's with you now. Remember, Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you, regardless of where you are or where you go. You're never without Christ. We need to open up our eyes and see this and recognize, I am not in this alone. Even in the midst of all, some of your faces, I know you've been in great tragedies. You've been there, but you've always remembered that God was right there. Three, remember the power for the future. Over and over again, the Bible's full of promises that God says, as your days are, so shall your strength be. I will give you the power. I will help you. He will give us the power. He will help us. Isaiah 40, 31, I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will see you through this day. We have to get our minds off of those things that discourage us and get them on God. Psalm 119, 25, I am completely discouraged. I lie in the dust. Revive me by. Does God say revive me by being on Facebook 22 hours a day? Does he revive me by watching movies and TV? I might lose myself a while, but I have to come back. Does he revive us by going out to eat in a good restaurant or by going shopping or by going to Cancun? No, it says, revive me by your word. The quickest way to get out of discouragement is to allow God to speak to you through his word. Because the word of God speaks directly to the heart. It gets us right back on the right track, which is God's track. When I think about the Holy Spirit, I don't... I don't, I don't really like, I'm just going to spit it out, but chewings. Anybody here love them? If you love them, I can got a list of 10 people I can sign you up with that you can, you can have all of them you want. I don't like them. But you know what? Every once in a while, I need them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. We, we sometimes have our fingers and our spiritual ears all week long. We're busy, we've got other things on our mind, but boy, when you come in here, when it gets quiet, as the, as, the, as the worship team leads us, as the Holy Spirit starts to soften this heart through music, when it gets down to the end, there's no place to hide, and the Holy Spirit's got his thumb on you. That happens to me, does that happen to any of you? It's the way he works. I found this, this clip from an old movie, Rudy, you've seen it, but this janitor, is speaking into Rudy's life, and this is the way the Holy Spirit does. Listen carefully what he tells him. Hey, 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 hey. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list. There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel. For my dad to prove to everyone prove that I worked. What? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. 
You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. Now go on back. Sorry, I never got you to see your first game in here. I've seen too many games in this stadium. I thought you said you never saw a I've game. I've never seen a game from the stands. You were a player? I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't being played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. You hear me clear enough? That's the way the Holy Spirit talks to me. <laughs> I know he talks to you too if you're his kid. And the fact is, although days we want to quit and walk away, it would be the biggest mistake of your life. I've known people who's done that. It didn't turn out so good. Last steps, resist the discouragement. Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. I heard a story one time about Satan in hell, and he called the council for all his demons and said, we got to figure out a way to neutralize the Christians. How can we? Now that they're saved, they're going to heaven, and we can't get them into hell, so how do we neutralize them so they don't get any more to go with them? One of the demons said, well, why don't, why don't you tell them what the Bible, that the Bible is a bunch of lies? No, that won't work, said Satan. They're smarter than that. Another demon said, why don't you tell them that prayer doesn't work? No, we can't do that because a lot of people have their prayer answered. Third one says, let's just discourage them. And Satan said, that will work. D.O. Moody said, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. We all realize that our enemy is the accusers of our soul. And says on a consistent basis, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're blowing it. Who do you think you are to call yourself a Christian? And you act like that. You're miserable, you're nothing. Give up and forget it. He's always accusing. But we go to James 4, and James 4 says, resist the devil. What's causing you to be discouraged? Fatigue, <laughs> failure, fear, frustration. Diana has a saying. She often says, this too shall pass. And I think we need to put that somewhere where we see it. I appreciate you, Larry, for doing that PowerPoint. I'm going to go right to that very last prayer. I want you to pray this with me. It's going to be on the screen. It's the very last prayer. We might pray this together this morning. It's not on there? Okay. All right. That's good. 
Thanks, Larry. I appreciate PowerPoint. They make me look better than I am. Bow your head with me this morning, and as I said before, we go to God and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and as I say incessantly, I just want you to be honest. Lord, you, you are speaking to all of us. We come through those doors this morning. You had a word for everyone here. Doesn't matter what age we are or what our background is. We're your kids and you love us and you want what's best for us. So right now, Father, as you speak into our lives, Holy Spirit, it's just like the clip. Sometimes you got a little, little rough and some of us need that because we get callous and we don't listen. So we'd ask that you would squeeze our hearts, Father, and really help us to be honest with you this morning. If there are these things in our lives this morning that we might give them to you, that we may, might leave this place free. And if there be any here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you, that they would cry out, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you to be my savior. Confess and I repent. And I want to be your child. So right now, Father, as we close this service, we just ask that you, as you speak to our hearts, that we are open and pliable in your hands. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.